What's going on, guys? It is Wednesday, June 10th. This week on the podcast, CEO Makoto Takamiya joins me to discuss his company, Sodamitsu. Sodamitsu is a Japanese technology company delivering blockchain-based solutions for enterprises, universities, and governments. Makoto and I have a lovely conversation. We talk about a lot of things, and I'm sure you guys will enjoy it quite a bit. So, as always, be sure to subscribe if you have not already, and share this episode with somebody that you think would like to learn more about blockchain or Sodamitsu. Enjoy. This is the Blockhash Podcast. Uh, is it Makoto? Yeah, Makoto. Makoto? How you doing? Doing good. Yeah? How's Japan? So Japan's pretty nice. Uh, it's pretty relaxed um, nowadays. Um, mm-hmm. There's no real lockdown, but instead uh, people kind of just can't go have, have fun. People go to work, but they don't go to play, I guess. So they're, they're being pretty smart about it, though. Yeah, it's it hasn't been a major problem. Like, we've still had meetings this whole time, like business meetings. That's good. That's good. Yeah, I've always like I just, wanted I just to... came from a meeting... Yeah, I just yeah, I remember that. Um I was um I've always wanted to go to Japan too. Like have you always lived there? Did you move there at a certain point or I moved to Japan about 13 or 14 years ago. <laughs> oh wow. I kind of remember. Um it's been a while. Um and I uh I came here originally to do my uh, master's thesis and I mm-hmm. worked as an intern at MEC. And then after that I came to work at a research lab. Very cool. Uh, how's your Japanese? It's okay. Um, I, I speak Japanese a lot. I just spoke Japanese in the meeting I was in. Um, it's a complicated language, of course. It's hard to master, um, especially if you, um, if you go outside of Japan a lot. So I've been, um, I spent a lot of the time recently overseas just because I've uh, been busy with uh, work and trying to create new business. Did you just see opportunity or to study in Japan and that kind of brought you over there? Was there like family or? Yeah, it was just really random opportunity. I, um, I got, I went to an academic conference, uh, when I was doing my master's thesis and I just got asked to uh, stay there and to do, um, you know, internship. And so that's kind of how, how it all started. I really liked it here. So that's why I, I decided to go get a, um, uh, a job after I graduated and then, um, been trying to work on my PhD as well here. Awesome. Awesome. Um, I mean, how far along are you with your PhD? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I finished a lot of the research, but um, yeah, I'm kind of need, need to just give my dissertation and uh, been busy with, with my company, too busy with, with uh, Soramitsu and with uh, different blockchain stuff to, um, mm-hmm. to really settle down. Gotcha. Yeah, I know that stuff can definitely bog you down. I feel that sometimes. But yeah, let's let's talk about Suramitsu. Um like what what do you guys do exactly? Like what's the objective of the company? That's a good question. Um so our main objective really is to uh to increase the um uh the efficiency of payments. Uh mm-hmm. like cuz there's a lot of inefficiencies in payment systems around the world and uh, really doesn't have to be that way. Um, 
you know, Bitcoin kind of showed that you can send money instantly to people anywhere in the world. Um, so even Bitcoin, of course, has some, has some flaws. Um, so we want to kind of make uh, make traditional finance financial systems faster and more efficient, and then also give people more uh, flexibility and freedom for kind of like you know crypto financial um, mm-hmm. ecosystems as well. Nice. Are are you these like separate products, or are you merging them together? Or because I've seen a lot of different products on your guys' site. Yeah, we do a lot of stuff. So we uh, we created our own blockchain called Hyperledger Iroha, and mm-hmm. uh, we're working on Iroha version two right now. And in addition, we've done other stuff in the blockchain space, like we created a C implementation of Polkadot, um, called we called Kagome, and then we created C uh, implementation of Filecoin as well. Um, so we are trying to, t- to tie some of the base infrastructure together. So for Idoha version two, uh, we're building a pair chain to Polkadot and, um, and that'll have some cool things on, on, on that chain, I think. Um, and then on top of the, our technology, we build different applications. So we built a, uh, a digital payment system for the central bank of Cambodia. Mm-hmm. Um, that's Bakong, which is uh, like a kind of like a central bank digital currency. Um, it's a digital wallet that anyone in the country can use to send and receive money mm-hmm. if they have a Cambodian phone number. Um, so that's that's a really exciting um, project, and it also goes with our goal of kind of increasing uh, the efficiency of payments in society. And uh, on the crypto economic side, uh, we've been working on a decent, decentralized economic system called Sora, and uh, Sora is a uh, it's a complex project in some ways, but really the idea is very simple that every new token that you mint uh, should be minted uh, for economic productive output. So um, it's, it's kind of a way to democratize the allocation of capital in a society. In, in something like Bitcoin, you create new tokens and you give it, you give it only to miners and then the miners can you know, sell the Bitcoins and then they can allocate it you know, the capital as they see fit if they wanted to. Um, but uh, it's not really a great decentralized economic system. So what we wanted to do is really create um, create a really decentralized economic system that has some some properties, like you can have like um, built in, like a, a smart contract that can uh, increase and contract the money supply to match demand and then um, through democratic voting, you vote, you vote to allocate new tokens. Um, so that is something that's really exciting as well, because um, everyone kind of needs access to capital. And if you can democratize the, the creation of and allocation of it, um, then that can really take you to the next stage in, in economic systems. And that takes advantage of a lot of, a lot of our technologies. So like with uh, Hyperledger Iroha, Iroha version two, and then we built a bridge uh, to Ethereum as well. So it's kind of, we, we want to focus on the crypto economics and the token and then have multiple uh, blockchains that are supported on that. Um, so we do quite a lot of stuff, but uh, it's, it's, all, it's all like really grounded um, in the same goal of uh, trying to um, increase the efficiency of payments and um, give people kind of more fair access to a financial system. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you guys are doing quite a lot. Um, 
in, in Cambodia, are you, is that like a use case for you guys that you'd roll out, you know, beyond Cambodia or is that a solution like for Cambodia specifically? Yeah. So we, we created a, um, this payment system. And so we actually, you know, we can easily roll it out in other countries. It'd be really cool to do something like in Colombia, for instance. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think it's just kind of new and a lot of central banks are, are not really sure that, uh, that they really want to, um, to provide end to end retail, um, payment infrastructure. Um, but I think some central banks are starting to see the, um, the potential for this. So, for example, um, <clears throat> uh, in China, right, they're working on digital um, uh, payment system and other central banks are looking at this as well. Gotcha. Yeah, I know there's a lot of central banks that are starting to really take a serious look at it. Um, and I think China's got their own national digital currency that might come out pretty soon as well. So it's definitely heating up around the world. It's getting a, to be a pretty big topic. Yeah, and uh, and really it's 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 quite interesting and it has the potential to really help people. It also has the potential to, to do bad things too. It depends a lot on the uh, design of the system. And um, so for example, uh, for macroeconomic analysis, it's really important to look at uh, transaction behavior on the aggregate. Uh, but if you start to look at individual transactors and in individual transactions in too much detail, um, then you, you, kind of, you know, are getting in the way of someone's privacy. And that's a bad thing. Um, so um, having the right level of balance is really important. So in the systems that we've we created, like, for example, in Cambodia, um, we kind of made it so that uh, there's a clear separation of personal data and where the data are stored uh, versus what the central bank has. Uh, because central bank doesn't provide customer service, they don't, they don't need to know your identity. Mm. But, but to comply with regulations, someone has to know your identity. And that's, that's what commercial banks um, are, are supposed to do in the, <clears throat> in the current financial system. So um, kind of, you don't want to disintermediate uh, commercial banks or other types of financial markets participants. Instead, what you want to do is kind of um, give a new tool for them to use that, uh, that can increase user experience and make, um, you know, make their lives even better. Right. Um, are you guys, do you guys have a solution for like, um, security purposes with blockchain that banks could use to make that easier? Yeah. I mean, uh, what do you mean by security? You mean, uh, um, well, like, like I being able to identify a transaction or okay. verify someone's identity, uh, within a transaction for remittance purposes, maybe, um, or something along that lines. Yeah, so we, we built a lot of tools uh, to do uh, identity management using verifiable claims and the W3C standard uh, for decentralized identifiers. Um, well, the proposed standard, right? So uh, that allows banks to kind of make um, claims about your identity that they have uh, verified. Mm -hmm. And this could be useful for um, cross-border uh, reporting or other types of use cases. Um, in Bakong, what we do is we... Um, well, we have mul multiple stages of verification. It starts with verifying phone number and then it kind of moves up to verifying, you know, passport or government ID and identity. Um, and the, the system lets you make kind of claims about this, uh, this ident account identifier. Um, it's, 
it's kind of like a public key, but it's it's mm. it's like a it's, it's more generalized than that. Um, so that's that's one of the tools that we built, and uh, actually in Sora as well, we um, we use the DID system to like create like randomized identifiers for uh, users of the app. Um, so there's a lot of potential uh, for using this kind of like self-sovereign identity um, infrastructure for kind of segregating who has access to the physical data and who has access to verifiability of the data. So, um, so sometimes you don't care about what the data are. Like most banks, they don't care what a person's name is. They care, um, has the person been put on some kind of blacklist? Are they, you know, are they in some sanctions list? Are they doing something bad? Um, that's really what's uh, important from a, um, you know, from a functional sense. Right. Gotcha. Are you, are you guys doing anything in, in Japan or are you guys just kind of doing stuff in Cambodia and with Hyperledger right now? Yeah. In Japan, we just launched a, well, it's a little bit delayed because of Corona, but uh, from July, we're going to be launching uh, Byako, which is a, uh, Byako is just a payment system at the University of Aizu, but we're taking this as a product and making it like a educational payments product that any university can use. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is just a, a campus uh, digital payment system. So you can, it's kind of like a prepaid system. So you go to like the campus store and then you can top up your balance. And then mm-hmm. the reason why you would do that is you get like a discount at the cafeteria when you buy food. Um, it's kind of like how lots of payment systems at universities work. So um, that that's an exciting project we've been working on for a while. That's actually running on our public network, the uh, the Sora network. Um, so Sora is our decentralized economic system, but it's also a blockchain um, network with validators. And uh, that's currently using Idroha version one, but it's going to be upgraded in the fall to use version two. Awesome. Are you guys still doing stuff with Hyperledger or have you moved beyond that point or? Yeah, so we, we created a uh, Hyperledger Iroha and uh, we are working in Hyperledger Iroha version two. Uh, so we still are very active as a member. Um, it's important to note that uh, the technology that we make, a lot of it's open source. So uh, Hyperledger, the brand and everything, it's owned by the Linux Foundation. So it's not it's not like our product, right? Uh, but we are, very proud and very happy to be a contributor um, to the to the ecosystem. Yeah, I remember talking to some of the ecosystem directors. Uh, at first, I thought Hyperledger was like an actual like ledger, until I realized it was more of like an umbrella under Linux. It's kind of like incubating these ideas and companies working together. So I was confused about that at first, but once I dove into it more and it was explained to me, I was like, "Oh, this is pretty cool stuff." <laughs> um, how long have you guys been working with Hyperledger? We've been a member since uh, t- May 2016. Okay. So it's been a while. Um, <laughs> okay, cool. Like good solid, like four years. Um, so who's your target market in a sense? Are you guys building these solutions for, for banks and companies or for individuals to use? Um, on on mobile devices or or both or all or what's your guys's like main focus there it depends on the um on the type of application so like 
we kind of have a difference between the enterprise focus and the kind of the crypto um, user uh, focus. So uh, things like what we do for um, payment systems, these are mainly for enterprises uh, or banks to use. Um, gotcha. and, and things like the cryptocurrency side is more for like uh, people who are interested in decentralized economic systems and decentralized uh, financial infrastructure. Okay, gotcha, makes sense. Um, I noticed you guys had like a lot of partnerships too when I was going through your guys' website. Um, who have you guys partnered with that you'd consider more notable or that you've done um, projects with uh, outside of Hyperledger? Well, we, we, we have different partners that we've done different things with. So for example, we spent a lot of effort uh, building a project called D3Ledger, uh, which mm -hmm. we worked with uh, the National Settlement Depository of Russia. Um, and also KDD, which is the Slovenian uh, Central Security Depository um, on. And that, that was a really interesting project to like build interledger um, technology between Hyperledger, Iroha, Bitcoin, and Ethereum. Um, and then we also uh, have done quite a lot of work with uh, the open source community for Hyperledger Iroha. So Hyperledger Iroha, we have kind of like a, bank, uh, a study group uh, here in Japan. And uh, that is where um, you probably saw a lot of, um, a lot of the, the logos and stuff uh, for um, different companies. Mm -hmm. gotcha. So like, um, yeah, we, we kind of just uh, sometimes do these, uh, uh, yeah, study groups and, and stuff like that. Some of these companies have also used, um, used Idoha for some uh, different programs or for uh, POCs, things like that. Very cool. Um, what, what are these like? interledger stuff um because i know i hear a lot of companies talk about it but like what does it mean when you're um building some type of like interledger solution is that just between blockchains or yeah so interledger is mainly um we focus on assets and moving these assets between different uh, ledgers uh so yeah mainly between blockchains it doesn't really have to be a blockchain you could like do it in a more generalized way, but um, that's the, the current idea. Um, yeah, so that's uh, like, let's say you create an asset on Ethereum and you want to use it inside another system. You know, you want to be able to, to lock this asset on Ethereum and then move it to another blockchain. And so there's different protocols to do that. Uh, one of them is uh, Xclaim, uh, which is kind of from the, the Bitcoin um, uh, kind of community, um, but we're doing quite a lot. Um, Xclaim is also being implemented in Polkadot uh, to build a bridge between Bitcoin and Polkadot. Um, so there's a lot of really exciting work out there. What's Polkadot? So Polkadot is a, um, <laughs> it's, it's kind of like a, a group of blockchains that uh, kind of implement the same messaging protocol and they're able to um, kind of work together through Polkadot uh, host and um, the advantage of this is like everyone can have their own chain you can be your own kingdom and your own leader and you have your own like domain but you can still uh, have full interoperability especially with your assets so you can move your asset from one chain to another chain um, so we we also got a grant uh, to work on a, a well we're helping to contribute to a DEX uh, to the open source code base for a decentralized exchange in, in the Polkadot ecosystem and that's 
Um, that's going to be on one of the, uh, what's called the parachain uh, in Polkadot. Um, and then uh, lots of people can move assets from other parachains uh, through the Polkadot host into, the, into this chain. So it's kind of a, a exciting way to kind of move things around. Yeah, that is exciting. It's still kind of like new to me. I think that's new to a lot of people. So I think it'll be pretty cool to see some of that stuff develop. Um, have you noticed like any, or how to go through any hurdles in the industry or in Japan with Soramitsu as a company? Or were there any like regulations or things that kind of held you guys back? Um, so we, we don't do too much that, uh, that cause we're mainly just a software um, developer. So we don't mm -hmm. do too much that would, um, uh, get in the way of you know, different laws. So for example, the payment systems that we build, we don't really, um, we don't really operate them, right? So we, we kind of give these to like central bank or to university or something. So they, they kind of run this um, in their own environments. Mm -hmm. um, but the, uh, yeah, for the token for Sora, we decided to release this in uh, Switzerland because they had a nice uh, legal framework about this. So we, um, we kind of went through the process of establishing there and, and releasing the token, which is a non-trivial uh, process. It took mm -hmm. quite a lot of work and effort. It took years of, of work really to do that. Gotcha. What about on the flip side? Like, were there ways that uh, Japan was promoting you guys? Or like you mentioned grants and stuff like that? Or like, how did they, did they help support you? Uh, well, I mean, there's a lot of advantages to being a Japanese company. Um, so you, uh, it is a very, I would say collaborative, uh, environment, uh, to do business in, um, a lot of Japanese companies, uh, it's, you know, only work with Japanese companies, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, for, well, for various reasons. And, um, so it is, it, it's a good way to kind of, um, kind of work together and, and we, we collaborate with a lot of companies, uh, quite, quite a lot. Is that just a cultural thing? Just wanting to work with Japanese companies or? Uh, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's kind of the, the whole thing about collaboration is actually a very cultural thing. So instead of just trying to dominate the, the whole market, uh, people often will work together and, um, and maybe there'd be some huge corporation and then lots of people would kind of work with the corporation. And, um, there's different models of course too, but generally it's a really, um, What's a good word? It's a really uh, solid environment to do business in. And uh, there's, you know, besides things like natural disasters, it's a very, um, you know, stable and, and safe place. Um, <laughs> there's you, always have, you haven't had a natural disaster in a while, have you? Oh, don't say that. Come on. <laughs> Hopefully not. <laughs> come on. Come on. <laughs> don't, don't jinx it. Um, well, I mean, there's there's disasters all the time in Japan. So like Typhoon, or there's more than 100 active volcanoes. There's earthquakes all the time. Um, so there's always something going on. Uh, usually, it's it doesn't affect stuff we're doing. But I mean, um, yeah, it's just a part of life. I'd, I'd like to say that that in Japan, the um, natural complexity is hard because of the environment and stuff. But the artificial complexity is low. So if you're familiar with if you're familiar with the work of Herbert Simon, uh, he talked a lot about, um, you know, artificial versus natural. And, you know, he kind of wrote a great book called Sciences of the Artificial, which um, was a big influence on my life. Um, but um, 
it seems that there's always that it always balances out. If you have very uh, very easy natural um, environment, then people create their own problems. I mean, look at California, right? So um, <laughs> California is a great place to live. It's uh, you know beautiful weather, beautiful everything, but um, you know people create a lot of uh, uh, problems and drama for themselves. Yeah, I like to call it drama. <laughs> um, it's it's a hard place to live. It's very expensive. Um, I I lived in California when I was in college for four years, and just got a taste of it. And as beautiful the state as it is, and I mean, beaches are amazing. People are fun to be around. So there's a lot to do, but living there is a headache. So, yeah, I mean, it's some good things and bad things. It's like that everywhere, but. Um, mm. uh, I think I, I prefer kind of Japan. That being said, I um, I kind of travel a lot. Like before Corona, I was traveling every week. Um, wasn't really in Japan that much the last few years. And um, uh, I mean, there's a lot of business opportunities overseas right now. And I, I think that it's a, it's absolutely, it's a, good, it's a good opportunity to go and take the chances. Have you been down to Latin America yet? I've never been to South America or, or Latin America. I've been to Mexico, but uh, uh, that's about it. Um, yeah, it's been, it's, I've always wanted to go, especially places like Peru or Chile, mm-hmm. uh, Argentina would be great. So. Um, yeah, I've, I've spent a lot of time in Latin America. Um, I mean, obviously I've spent a lot of time here in Colombia. It's a beautiful country. Um, it's definitely one of those places that's, growing very, very quickly in the right direction. Um, I've been to Argentina, Buenos Aires, beautiful city. It's huge too. Um, but last time I was there like a year and a half ago, the, they were going through a pretty bad currency crisis. And I don't think they're well, I think now they're, they're about ready to default. Right. So, um, yeah, well they took a huge bailout from the IMF. Um, cause they're, they're I remember their currency dipping like 40% in like a couple of days and I, I went there right after it happened because <laughs> everything was on sale and they were taking us dollars. People were panicking. Uh, you had like middle-class people that were broke homeless and out on the streets because their money was worth nothing. Like I could get a, yeah, I get a full meal for like $2, two us dollars. It was getting ridiculous. Oh. Yeah. That's really one of the motivations behind uh, our project Sora is that we really want to create like a decentralized monetary authority in a way. Mm-hmm. That, um, that that you know would would be able to have some rationality, but at the same time, uh, not be s- subject to kind of um, I would say suboptimal policies. That um, so, if you take money from some international organization, you you instantly lose a lot of control that um, that you need, uh, and they don't mm-hmm. always give the best advice either. Yeah, that's true. When I was down there, I, I remember being able to pay the Uber drivers in Bitcoin. They wanted anything except for Argentinian pesos wow. at the time. They, they'd take dollars and they'd take Bitcoin and you had to sit in the front seat and you had to act like they were your friends because they didn't want to get beat up by the cab union. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Their car destroyed. Um, yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy down there. And there's a huge demand in Latin America for blockchain and crypto and everything under the fintech umbrella. A lot of people want it. A lot of people are on mobile devices. It's very easy, easy to reach them. Wi-Fi is everywhere. Um, so why why don't you think? Why do you think that crypto hasn't really taken off in places like Argentina or even Colombia? 
I think it's an infrastructure problem. I mean, you look at a lot of first world countries, a lot of countries in Western society uh, as well, have really good um, infrastructure in terms of uh, networking, internet, things like that. Whereas a lot of countries in Latin America uh, kind of missed out on that rush and were playing catch up for a while. And now they've gotten to the point where technology is allowing them to kind of leap over some of those infrastructure problems. So like if you're, it's not just technology too. I mean, like here in Columbia, for example, there's plenty of neighborhoods that in some ways look completely run down, but they're not poor neighborhoods. They're not in poverty necessarily. People are doing fairly well um, walking around with their Gucci shoes and Louis Vuitton handbags and shopping and um, drinking coffee and like no big deal. Um, but they have like all this new technology that they're living in housing that's like old and they, their telephone wires are are old. It's like they just bypass some of the things that we spent so much time building in terms of infrastructure. Um, you know, they can leap over that with, uh, with Wi-Fi and with everything you can do with a smartphone nowadays. Um, so they're all lump, jumping to, to VR. They're all jumping into blockchains. It's an easy next step for them. And they're hoping that, you know, if they jump into some of these technologies, maybe they'll actually leap ahead of some other countries that have been know ahead of them for quite a while so there's a lot of second world developing in the first world type countries like colombia argentina chile um i have friends down in chile i heard it's a beautiful country too <laughs> gotta go skiing Most there. countries have really high currency controls um so like for example mm -hmm. in argentina um they're trying to really restrict use of the dollar and uh, probably cryptocurrencies as well um like if everyone wanted to use Bitcoin or something, I'm sure they would restrict that. Um, yeah, the banking systems aren't very reliable, unfortunately. Um, a lot of people, they try and hold cash at all times. Yeah. Um, some of the banks, they if they're a good bank, they generally charge really high fees because they know that they're going to get all the customers and all the clients. Um, if you go to any other bank that you know offers you better rates or um, or gives you a better deal, they're probably more likely to do something with your money um, or give you problems. So there's, there's some banking issues for sure. And some of the governments down here are definitely not <laughs> uh, top tier at the moment. Um, but the people are pushing pretty hard and working through it. And technology itself is encouraging a lot of people to uh, push for change. So I like Latin America. Lots of opportunity down here. Beautiful place to live too. Yeah, I've never been, but um, highly recommend it. it. You've sold me on it, so um, yeah, I should try to go. I, we have one of our developers now in uh, Peru, so mm -hmm. uh, it'd be interesting to come visit. Um, I do think I, I would have to study Spanish some more, though, first. Yeah, if you can pick up Japanese, you can pick up Spanish. Like I've I've struggled trying to learn Spanish most of my life, but I picked up so much of it just living here, um, and like the last six months alone, I'm sure that you could pick it up pretty quickly. Um, you'd be surprised how many people speak English here too. Mm -hmm. That sounds yeah. good. Yeah. Um, one more question before kind of like start wrapping things up. I kind of want your, your opinion on what you think the market is, what direction you think the market's heading right now, not just in terms of crypto, currencies necessarily but like with blockchain as a technology because i mean we've obviously seen 
a hell of a lot of development over the last 10 years since Bitcoin came out, over the last six or so since Ethereum came out. Um, a lot of great stuff happening this year. Um, just kind of from your perspective and opinion, where do you see the market heading and, and developing? Yeah, um, I think there's, it's going to be interesting because um, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of the promise of Bitcoin or Ethereum um, hasn't really been met. Like there's still, it's still really a niche market and um, people I think haven't really thought through um, like a lot about how do you get adoption or what does user adoption look like. Mm. Uh, there, there's some interesting experiments being done, especially the decentralized finance in that area. Um, some of the experience are, I think, a bit naive, but some are very interesting as well. Um, so I think these will start to be larger and larger. Um, I think there's no silver bullet for adoption. I think that um, uh, people want the same thing in blockchain as they want anywhere else. And that's, you know, they want money, they want access to capital uh, when they when they need it. And um, blockchain or kind of the decentralized nature of a lot of these networks make it make it harder to get access to cheap capital because um, because you don't have the the whole fine, the whole legal system and everything that you have um, you know like if you take a loan and you don't repay it um, there's re repercussions in the real world but in the blockchain space you know if you took like a, a under collateralized loan you just you just get free money right mm -hmm. um, so that's these are fundamental differences that I don't see easily solvable. Um, and until these get solvable, I think it's hard. Um, capital allocation is really important in society. Um, I think a lot of people in the blockchain space don't realize that enough. Um, that being said, there's quite a lot of exciting developments. Uh, so I'm really a huge fan of Polkadot. I think Polkadot's really an awesome system because um, it solves some of the problems that we've seen in Bitcoin and Ethereum where they evolve too slowly. They evolve too slowly because there's too much at stake, right? Mm -hmm. Like you can't just upgrade the Bitcoin network because you know, there's all kinds of politics involved. There's all kinds of stuff going on. Even Ethereum, they're having a hard time moving to proof of stake because the miners have so much um, political clout, right? Um, whereas in Polkadot, they're like saying, Hey, you want to make your own chain, go make your own chain. It's we'll make it easy. Um, and we'll just interoperate. If you want to, if you want to fork, whatever, just make your own chain, move the assets. If people who want to move can move there, if they don't like it, um, they can stay. Um, there's, it kind of gives people a lot more freedom and, um, it's really an, a very fascinating and interesting, um, model. And I think that's, that's an exciting, um, thing that's happening in, in the space. And I think it's going to become um, more and more, uh, it's going to power innovation a lot faster. And then people are going to try many new things. And then eventually uh, you're going to get lucky and, and reach uh, some kind of adoption uh, levels that are meaningful. Um, frankly, I was a little bit surprised and that things like Bitcoin couldn't be better. I mean, couldn't have picked up better adoption during the Corona crisis. Mm -hmm. um, I think it really shows that it's lost the narrative of, of money and that it's really become a speculative asset. 
um, because people kind of just treat it like speculation rather than uh, a way to kind of, for example, in, in Argentina, a way to get out of the financial system. Like you don't see, you don't see everyone in the country suddenly waking up and saying, hey, I'll start taking this. But um, who knows, maybe it just takes more time. Um, we, we worked with an economist on our model for Sora and uh, he was thinking, you know, the first 20, 30 years is what it takes to create kind of the moneyness of a token. Um, and maybe that's right. Maybe we're all just taking too small of a perspective, um, and it, and it takes longer, but, um, but the trends are good. Um, I think crypto's in a nice cycle. It's getting more attention. It's getting some smart people coming in and building things. Um, so I'm really bullish about the next few years. Um, the only thing that would kind of like hurt my bullish sentiment sentiment would be, um, more regulations. Um, so like, for example, if a country started to use Bitcoin or something um, and the government didn't like that, they would just outlaw it, right? So um, if you're too successful, then <laughs> uh, then that will start to happen, I think. So that it's it's kind of, I'm not really sure what, what way it's gonna go, but um, I think that uh, the key point is to, to kind of, do things build up things in a meaningful way and then um and then as long as you have the system dynamics correctly uh you can move in the right direction yeah i agree with you on that it's, it's been very exciting to see everything that it's done in the past decade and i'm very excited to see what it does in the next decade um yeah so i think we're we're going to see some cool stuff out of blockchain and similar technologies um but Koto, thank you for taking the time to come on and everything. Really appreciate it. Um, I know the time difference is a little weird, but um, thanks for making the time. I know you had a meeting before that. And um, thanks for talking about sort of Mitsu and everything and sharing everything you guys are doing um, in the space, all the development, and all the all use cases, all the partnerships and whatnot. Um, I think my audience will definitely enjoy a conversation. Uh, so again, thank you. Really appreciate it. Cool. Yeah, thanks. So have a good day. Thanks for inviting me on. And um, I'm glad we could finally touch base. Absolutely. Talk to you again soon and enjoy, enjoy your quarantine, I guess, in Japan. Kind of quarantine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you too. Um, yeah. So yeah, take care of yourself. Yeah, thanks a lot. Bye. Yeah, thank, yeah bye.